the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon. It's a couple minutes after four. You're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. Thanks for tuning in. Kind of a cloudy rain off and on, on again, off again kind of thing happening. Temperature holding steady around 50, dropping about 46 tonight. Cloudy and rainy off and on again tomorrow. 58 the high, at least it'll be a little warmer. Saturday, sunny, high 55. That's the morning our daughter, Lord willing, is participating in her U12 soccer championship. 55. Mm, a little chilly to be out there coaching, but I'm not going to be a sissy. I'm going to get out there and help those girls upset the top team in the league. We're draw- we drew the number one seed after our first round uh, win. Sunday, our other daughter has her game to wrap up her season. Consolation game, they unfortunately lost this past Sunday. Uh, a lot of clouds for that one and a couple of showers. But it looks like that'll happen right after the game is over. See, when you're a dad, you pay attention to these things because of what you're going to have to do as far as watching the kids play. In the rain, in the sun, you want it to be enjoyable weather rather than shivering if you can help it. 63 the high for Sunday. Thursday night football tonight, Indianapolis at Tennessee at 820. Eagles are at the New York football Giants Sunday afternoon at 1. And in Major League Baseball, Trevor Bauer of the uh, Cincinnati Reds picking up the National League Cy Young Award. And Shane Bieber uh, of Cleveland picking up the American League Cy Young Award. Today's program has a couple of special guests. Uh, We're looking forward to having... Uh, a gentleman named Michael Reeder, uh, Riedel, I should say Riedel. He is a longtime movie critic, including for the New York Post. And he has a new book out. It's called Singular Sensation, The Triumph of Broadway. Who says we don't have culture on this program every now and again? So we'll chat with him for a little bit. And also, later in the hours, kind of fun as well, a gentleman named Joseph Williams. He's one of the couple of those really long, longest tenured members of the band Toto especially if you remember songs like Hold the Line back in the late 70s and Africa, certainly a huge song that's resurged in the last couple of years, uh, a song called Rosanna and a bunch of others. And his father, you may have heard of, he's basically like all, over all the important movies, well, I shouldn't say important, but super big blockbuster hits over the years, including things like Star Wars and Jurassic Park. Yeah, the John Williams. It's his son, Joseph, who's in the band Toto and is going to be joining us as well this hour. We'll probably sneak in a couple other things, too. It's all happening today on the Tim DeMoss Show. And uh, even a few more thank yous before things are done here uh, to folks who have helped out in our partnership with Transworld Radio. We actually hit our goal a day or so ago, and um, we still have the opportunity on our website if you want to jump in and help with that. Basically, helping bring the gospel to Africa by means of providing wind-up radios that don't require electricity. So they're very, uh, you know, they're perfect, really. You can super portable. You can take them wherever you go. And in the past, we worked with TWR to help build transmitters and support their work in, in different countries. This time around, it's the hardware itself that we're focused on. So uh, you're certainly allowed and welcome to help out. We're leaving the uh, opportunity on our website for a little while longer, another day or two maybe. 
And you can also call 888-988-5656 if you want to jump in. 888-988-5656 or WFIL.com. It's an amazing, potentially life-saving gift. When you think about what you appreciate about this radio station, imagine you're just giving that very same opportunity to somebody else. So be encouraged to hop on board if you want to. 888-988-5656 or WFIL.com. Quick break. We'll come back with our first guest of the hour, Michael Riedel. We'll be chatting about his book, Singular Sensation, The Triumph of Broadway, for a few moments on WFIL. It's the Tim DeMoss Show podcast, available at WFIL.com. Thanks for listening. It's 409, the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. Thank you for listening in today. Our first guest of our fine broadcast today is named Michael Riedel. He's a New York Post theater critic and author of a book called Singular Sensation, The Triumph of Broadway. And in it, a lot of... Uh, Pretty cool interviews. Andrew Lloyd Webber's part of it. Glenn Close, Hugh Jackman, Matthew Broderick, Mel Brooks, and uh, Liam Neeson, Nicole Nick, uh, Nicole Kidman, among others. And uh, Michael, how are you? Hey, Tim. How are you doing? Wonderful. Congratulations on the release of Singular Sensation. Thank you very much. Thanks. Uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, well, uh, well, you know, I'm a theater critic, so now I'm the one who gets to be reviewed. The shoe is on the other foot. We'll see, <laughs> see if it pinches. <laughs> What, uh, what led you to write it? How long has this been in the making for you? I've uh, worked about four years on this book. My previous book, which was called Razzle Dazzle, The Battle for Broadway, was about Broadway in the 60s and 70s, into the 80s. And, you know, if you've been around as long as I have, you remember the 70s and the 80s, kind of a rough time for New York City. And uh, the Broadway theater was in a lot of trouble back in the, um, in the 60s and 70s. And my first book was about a handful of people like the Schuberts and the Niederlanders and Michael Bennett, who did a chorus line leading up to Andrew Lloyd Webber, who, of course, did Cats and Phantom. Those handful of guys, they stuck around Broadway and really helped, uh, you know, keep it going in that precarious time for Times Square and for the city. And then Simon & Schuster, my publisher, they wanted a sequel to that. And I thought, well, all right, what's going to happen next? And I, I covered every major show in the 1990s for the New York Post, where I was the theater columnist for 20, 25 years. And I thought, you know, that's, that was a big decade for Broadway. It was the decade where Broadway went from being kind of a backwater of the entertainment business to becoming a big part of mainstream American popular culture. And those shows of the 90s, Rent, Angels in America, The Lion King, Chicago, the producers, they were as well-known and as popular as any big movie or any TV show of the era. And you know, I was fortunate enough to know everybody who created those shows so I went back to all of them, and I said, I want to write about how you came up with these, with these great shows. I want the behind-the-scenes stories of how these shows came together. And let's not project ahead. I mean, we know Chicago is going to be a massive hit, but the people who put it together originally, they had trouble raising the money for Chicago because it was, a, it was supposed to be a four-performance-only concert. And everyone thought, you're crazy. You can't take a concert to Broadway and charge people the unheard of ticket price back in those days of $75. That was the top <laughs> ticket price in 95. Yeah. I believe that. And everybody said, there's no way people are going to pay that much money to see a concert. And the producers of Chicago, Fran and Barry Weisler, they could not raise the money. They couldn't get the money from banks or from their usual investors because everybody thought Chicago had no chance. And they violated Mel Brooks's cardinal rule of showbiz. They put their own money in the show. Wow. And I remember Fran Weisler told me this story, which I put in the book. She said, we got into bed that night. I pulled the covers over my head, <laughs> and I thought, what have we done? 22 years later, the worldwide gross of Chicago is now about $3.5 with a B, and the Weislers own uh, three-quarters of that. So wow. at the end, 
that to be a good decision. Well, and you know, and it kind of uh, touches on another chapter about Lion, Lion King and uh, that financial situation. You had a neat quote from uh, Michael Eisner uh, about the, the bigger the risk, the bigger the payoff. Uh, share about yeah. that a little bit. Yeah, well, uh, Disney had come to Broadway in the early 90s with Beauty and the Beast. And in all um, candor, I have to tell you that those of us who worked on Broadway then were not really crazy about Disney. We thought Beauty and the Beast was one of these theme park shows. And, and frankly, we were a little snooty about it. You know, <laughs> it was going to be for the tourists and the family audience. And everybody on Broadway kind of turned up their noses at Disney. And Michael Eisner, you know, a very smart guy, he was acutely aware of the perception. Um, that Broadway people head of this big company sort of coming to Broadway with their theme park shows. So when he decided to do The Lion King, he said to his guys who ran the theater division, he said, look, let's do something different. All right, let's, let's just take a different tact here. And it was Tom Schumacher, who to this day is president of the Disney uh, theatrical arm of the company. Tom said, you know, I'm going to call this old friend of mine. She's an avant-garde director. Her stuff is beautiful but a little odd, and her name is Julie Kamler. And he made that phone call. Julie came on with this, you know, these crazy puppet stuff that she does that she learned when she was living in Indonesia and Bali. I mean, real kind of off-the-wall stuff for a family-friendly company like Disney. And they ran, they did a workshop of the show for Michael Eisner and some of the other execs at Disney, and they thought, this isn't working. I mean, you know, if you've seen The Lion King, you know, they have those big puppets on their heads, and some guy would say, I don't know, do I look at the actor's face? Do I look at that thing on his head? What is it? (laughs) Right. And and they left they left that workshop and Michael Eisner said to Tom Schumacher, he said, We're gonna pull the plug on this, get the new show, Aida, get that one ready. And to their credit, uh, Tom Schumacher and his um, his partner in the Disney Theatrical Empire, Peter Schneider, they said, Look, we've got to get this back in front of Michael and only Michael and Julie's costumes and her puppets, they have to be painted properly, they have to be lit properly, and they have to be shown off not in a brightly lit rehearsal room but in a theater. And so they went to the Palace Theater where Beauty and the Beast was playing, and Michael sat in the 10th row, and Julie gave him three different versions of her puppets. And the first version was very much what, you know, the musical Cats would look like, you know, leotards and fur. second version was a hybrid of what Cats might look like in Julie's puppetry. And the third version was Julie's original vision. And Michael Eisner said, the bigger the risk, the bigger the reward, we're going with your original vision. And, you know... 22 years later for The Lion King, the worldwide gross of that show is over $9 billion. That makes The Lion King the most lucrative entertainment property of, of all time. Uh-huh. I mean, it's made more money than the biggest movies like uh, Schindler's List or E.T. have ever made. So, that's I mean, you crazy. go by instinct on Broadway. You don't know if the show's going to be a hit. And that's one of the things I try to convey in the book. Nobody involved in these shows had any idea they would have the impact and make the money they did. They were just trying to figure out... Can we get the show up? Is it going to be okay? And, you know, once it goes up and that plays its first performance in front of 1,500 people who paid for their seats, that is the moment of truth. That You know then if you can make it or if it's going to be a long, hard slog to failure. Folks just tuning in, you're listening to The Tim DeMoss Show on AM560, WFIL.com, and on the WFIL app. Chatting for a bit with Michael Riedel, author of Singular Sensation, The Triumph of Broadway, Michael's longtime movie critic, including for many years with the New York Post. Just on a side note, by the way, do you happen to know a woman named Molly Legal? In your, in your. No, I don't know. Okay, Molly was no. a stage manager for Lion King. I actually DJed her wedding, <laughs> and uh, oh. 
She is the stage manager for Jersey Boys also and uh, very involved. So, but I mean, you interviewed tons of people. So not that you're going to cross paths there, but just uh, it was a little one possible intersection point. Um, well, I say Molly, Molly would have some great stories because uh, Julie Taymor's puppets uh, were very demanding on the actors. I mean, they were required to contort their bodies in ways that most dancers or actors never do. And uh, the guy, John Vickery, who was playing Scar, he said, we changed the uh, lyrics to, can you feel the love tonight? We would sing backstage, can you feel the pain tonight? Because everybody <laughs> in the show was, was in traction half the time. Michael, give us for a second, you've been a theater critic almost three decades, just a day in the life of your work that led up to this and all the expertise, because you even say in the foreword, as much as you knew, there's a lot you didn't know and you discovered in the process, but just for those who maybe aren't as Broadway you know, entrenched as you are, what it's like uh, and, and why Broadway is a good thing to go check out if they have not or have not in a long time. Well, you know, to my, to my mind, uh, there's nothing more exciting uh, than going to the theater, sitting with 1,500, 1,600 people in a Broadway theater and experiencing something like the opening of The Lion King, the circle of life for the first time. You know, it's not like you're watching a TV show at home with just a couple of friends and you're enjoying it. You are experiencing the excitement of, you know, 1,500, 1,600 people just taking in this unbelievable, beautiful opening number, and it's a great experience, a community experience, and, and you never know when the curtain's going to go up. I mean, we critics are tough, yes, it's true, and I would not be honest with you if I didn't say it's kind of more fun to write a bad review than it's a good <laughs> review to sort of stick the knife in. Yeah. But the real joy of it all is when you go and you think, okay, and this is how I felt about The Lion King. I went out to Minneapolis to see that first early preview of the show, and I thought, there's no way this is going to work. I don't like Disney. I don't like what they did with Beauty and the Beast. And I find Julie Kaymore, I admire her work, but it is weird. And I sat there with, you know, with my pen was dipped in poison, ready to attack that thing. And then you saw that, um, that opening uh, number of The Lion King, and, you know, there were 1,600 people in that theater out in Minneapolis. They were standing on their seats, cheering and applauding. And to my great shame, I was one of those people standing on my seat, cheering and applauding. <laughs> <laughs> that's how exciting it was. So, so it is true that yeah, we do. We critics, we do. We do like to put the knife in. But the things that I remember the most are those um, those great, great shows. Michael Rito, congratulations on Singular Sensation, the Triumph of Broadway. Thank you for taking time with us today. Have a great rest of your day. Hey Tim, thanks. Thanks for the interest. Appreciate talking to you. Absolutely. Bye bye. There we go. Microphone. Shut off for a second there. How'd that happen? Michael Riedel joining us, New York Post theater critic, author of the new book, Singular Sensation, The Triumph of Broadway, on the Tim DeMoss Show today. We're looking forward to joining up with uh, Joseph Williams and the band Toto as well. Today, uh, he has, a, along with the rest of the band, have a, uh, some concerts they're doing and also a new album that Joseph himself is doing. He's the son of uh, the, uh, the famed composer. Well, you know him from all the Star Trek and you know, the uh, Star Wars movies and uh, from, uh, I'm trying to think of all the other ones. It's a whole list of them. Uh, drawing a blank at the moment, but uh, John Williams, um, certainly Star Wars. <laughs> and anyhow, we'll have him on for a little bit. And uh, a couple other notes to pass your way. Also, I want to do, I mentioned before the uh, chat with Michael, uh, just want to thank Barbara in Philadelphia, Lucy in Philadelphia, and George in Elverson. They're the latest three folks who said, you know what? That whole thing you're doing with Transworld Radio, the radios and everything, I want to help out. They did. We hit a goal already, but we're leaving it on our site because it's such a beautiful thing to be able to provide these special wind-up radios to folks in Africa who don't have access to electricity and get to hear the gospel. So uh, thank you to those folks who have uh, helped out 
we'll, we'll pull that off the site in a little bit, but you're welcome to help out, certainly. $50 covers the cost of one, and believe me, it'll be $50 very well spent if you want to do one. Some folks have done two. A lot of folks have done one or two, and many folks have done more than that. A couple of folks have done a lot more than that, but whatever you want to throw in there, we're leaving it up there because folks seem to be taking to it nicely. And they should. 888 if you want to help out with that, by the way. 888 or WFIL.com. Back with more in a moment. Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560 WFIL? Email D at WFIL.com. It's 423 and 50 seconds. On the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. Speaking of contests, you just heard about that uh, movie deal you can win. We have a lot of stuff on our site. Um, so check it out. Long story short. Um, hang on one second. I'm just... Okay. Yeah. I had a quick text that was sending. Um, but we do have a lot of fun prizes you can win. We love doing that. Sometimes it's books. Sometimes it's music. Sometimes it's concert tickets. Sometimes it's big grand prizes. Christmas Mortgage Miracle is definitely one you want to check out because, well, it'd be kind of nice to have your rent or mortgage payments made for all of next year. Would it not? I think so. Up to $15,000 worth. We do this contest every year, and for some odd reason, it seems to be the most popular thing we do, contest-wise. So help yourself. You can actually enter every single day between now and... uh, 20th of December. Plus, there are bonus entry opportunities. You can, um, you know, do different things like sharing social media and all that. So, have fun. Check it out. The Christmas Mortgage Miracle, one of a number of opportunities for you at WFIL.com. A little later on, Joseph Williams from Toto is going to join us. But first, Marcus Hayes, the Philadelphia Inquirer, checking in. Hello, my friend. How are you today? What's going on, Tim? Good to talk to you. I was on a Zoom call with you and a number of other folks. Doug Peterson's uh, weekly, well, he has a couple of them. And uh, just, you wrote a column about this. I wanted to throw this in our our mix today um, about uh, when he was asked about Brett Favre's comments recently. We're going to check in sports more fully here in a moment. But I want to just pick your brain on this a little bit and, and share about the column. For those who may have missed it, of course, we had the Super Bowl championship a couple years ago, and uh, Carson Wentz took the team most of the way. Nick Foles finished it off. There's been back and forth about that whole dynamic ever since. Nice problem to have to have both those guys on the team. Um, but then uh, just, I guess, a couple days ago, Brett Favre, great quarterback in his own right, but the Packers and other teams mentioned that he thought the Eagles should have kept Nick Foles after all this time instead of keeping Carson Wentz. And Doug Peterson was asked about Brett Favre's comments. And I'll let you take it from there, Marcus, just to share what you what you observed and uh, what your column's about. Well, he was asked about Brett Favre's comments, and Doug declined the first two times he was asked to say, I, I disagree with that, number one, and number two, um, you know, we, we clearly kept our guy and he's our guy. And the reason Doug needed to say something like that in this moment is because he and Brett Favre are very close. They were teammates in Green Bay. Yeah. And Brett Favre has been very influential in Doug's development as a football person. So the, the, there was a conspiracy theory and still could be that, 
parroting, saying to us what Doug had maybe been saying to him. And that was the question. And finally, Rob Maddy, who I know is uh, a friend of your shows, um, said, listen, Doug, you need to put this to bed. (laughs) Do you agree with Brett or not? And really the question was, did you tell Brett this or not? And the answer became, of course not. Carson's our guy. We're committed to him. We drafted him, you know, down the line. He finally answered the question the way he should have answered it in the in the first place. Yeah. My column was, having known Doug for 21 years, I covered him when he was a football player for the Eagles when he was a quarterback in yeah. 1999. Yes. Doug doesn't always see the big picture very well. He sees the Doug picture. And in Doug's world... Of Doug's perspective is, of course, I believe Carson Wentz is the right choice. There's no question about that. I want to make sure that there's no controversy between Brett Favre and me. So he answered the question in in a manner that would preclude any sort of, you know, uh, incident or uh, any sort of uh, rancor between himself and Brett Favre, and he did it twice. But that wasn't the, the, the point of the question. The point of the question was, you know Brett Favre very well. Have you been telling Brett Favre these things? Yeah. Yeah, Marcus Hayes, our guest in the Philadelphia Inquirer, uh, and the column had to do with this, uh, the, the, like you said, the, the lack of kind of – well, what I found interesting about what your perspective was that in, in your column you talk about it, Doug Peterson came to his press conference this week prepared for diffusing a controversy – but the wrong controversy in terms of what, <laughs> right? That like, I hadn't thought of it that way. That he actually came feeling probably like he was prepared to just put things down and keep it keep it calm and simple. But the but the part that he missed is something that will probably never go away in this town, at least on some level. Should the Eagles have theoretically kept Nick Foles? Because in the end, Foles finished the job off and and Wentz, unless he is able to come through, and I think he's certainly capable of it, winning a Super Bowl here. Yeah, there's always going to be some kind of a well, you know, maybe Foles would have been the right guy, and and mm. I don't know about you, but I when I heard uh, when I heard uh, Doug's comments, also just kind of saying I, I respect Brett's opinion. He basically just said I respect his opinion. Um, I thought, you know, Doug, if you really want to draw, yeah, I guess he wasn't thinking along these lines, but tell me what you think. I would have thought he should have said something like, uh, or maybe what people want to hear is, sure, we love Nick here. It was never a thought for him to take over for Carson. Because if you listen to what he finally did say to Rob Motti, it really wasn't even that strong. It was, he's our, he's our guy. Well, of course he's your guy. He's on your team. He didn't actually say something to the effect of, well, we, we considered it for a little while, uh, but it never really was a thought. Certainly we thought about it for a day or two just to in, in, in the scope of things, but really that was never a consideration. Like, I don't know about you. I, have you ever heard him say something that definitive that it was never really a consideration ever? Yes. Okay. He said it after the Super Bowl, and he said it after the playoffs in uh, 2018. Okay. He is uh, – or the uh, 2018 playoffs, which happened in 2019. Right. He has, he has personally, unequivocally – endorsed Carson several times. And in his mind, he doesn't need to do so again ever. Okay. In his mind, that ship sailed long ago. Clearly, they made the right choice in his mind because Nick, Nick Foles has now been benched 
in Jacksonville, where he was paid a ton of money, and in Chicago, right. where he lost, he did not win the starting job at the beginning of the season. Yeah, And he's struggling now. One of the few quarterbacks playing as poorly as Carson Wentz this season happens to be Nick Foles. <laughs> right. So in Doug's mind, it's not an issue, even when Brett Favre says it. But from the outside, where you know we don't see Carson Wentz every day, we don't understand the amount of power he has in that organization, and we have these fond memories of Nick Foles, which are really you know sort of moments in time more than a, a complete body of work. Nick was never a very good starter for an entire season anywhere. He yeah. took over in 2014 and was fine, and then he pitched well in relief in some of the games he played in relief of Carson Wentz. He wasn't great in every game. Yeah. So I think the contention in Philadelphia of Nick Foles supporters is when surrounded with the right weapons and playing for the proper coach, he can be successful. I think there are people that are going to go to their graves if Nick Foles never regains the magic that he had in 2014 or in the 2017 playoffs. They'll go to their graves thinking Nick Foles needed to be in the right spot at the right time, and maybe he's a Hall of Famer. And maybe they're right. You know, maybe certain, maybe he's a system guy, or he's a he. But I, I'll say this: Joe Flacco in the right spot with the right coach is a Hall of Fame quarterback. You know, yeah, sure, and he's with a better arm than Nick Foles will ever have. So that is kind of a cop out. Carson Wentz's ceiling is Carson Wentz's floor is closer to Nick Foles' ceiling than Nick Foles' ceiling is closer to Carson Wentz's ceiling. Marcus Hayes, our guest, he's uh, Philadelphia Inquirer. You can check him out at Inquirer.com. One last thing for you, too, just kind of in a fun way, uh, Marcus, you know, because you, I know you like, to, you like to play sports, too, right? And, and kind of you know the mm-hmm. difference between you know, covering them, watching them, interviewing the players, and also being on the diamond and, and on the field and playing. And I've coached a lot of sports over the years including our church softball team. And I'll just tell you, just, I'm, I'm going somewhere. There's several different dynamics. Um, <laughs> well, f- here's the thing. There are times where we had a great team on our, you know, great. We had some minor leaguers on our team too. Players played for the Mets, for the Reds. Um, so we had a lot, we had a lot of talent, but we would typically flame out in the semifinals or make it to the finals and lose. And everybody liked playing us because we had a good attitude and then we were, if we lost, we didn't make a big thing. We just, congratulations. But there was always this feeling like we should win more than we do. We really should. And I stopped as the team manager doing stats. I stopped printing these fun digests I used to put out. I just said, look, what do we have to do to actually win the game? And I started to learn about the nuances that when you're playing this team, this is how you beat them. When you play this team, this is how you beat them. And what's important and instead of having, for example, a singles hitter in the first slot and in the, in the second slot, I put our best hitter in the top slot. And we put the other team on their heels right from the get-go. And so there's, there's a way of – like a traditional way of thinking and then there's alternative ways of thinking. And we wound up winning two championships and we were in the finals five years out of seven. So like we, we were – and one game from the finals the other two years. And Rob Motti was on our team those years. So I, I say all that to, to say when Nick was here – and and the in the tandem of Wentz and Foles wound up, and of course, all the other players winning the Super Bowl. There was a part of me, crazy as it sounds, like, well, if they were going to keep Nick at all, they would have had to keep him at like twenty five million dollars for a franchise tag for one year. And they just signed Wentz to an extension, one hundred and twenty million dollars. Seems crazy, but if there's one position in the whole you know league that needs could need to, 
And those guys are both Christian men who know how to put the other person first and all that sort of thing. Like they could work together. I, I was not, I was maybe in a very small camp, but I'm like, I'm good with having Foles back for one more year and let Carson be the starter. I know it would have caused struggle on the outside and people like, who oh, should do it? But they could weather all that. I'd rather have them both there and see where it goes than say you have to get rid of one because that's just not how football's done. So I don't know where, if that sounds crazy to you or what your thoughts were at the time and what they are now, if they could have kept Nick even for one more year just to see how things would have gone. Well, I believe the reality would have been he would have been making more money than Carson. Right. Because <laughs> Carson's, Carson's extension didn't kick in until this year. And Carson Wentz didn't miss a start last year. I true, mean, true. It, it would have been, I don't know that you spend $25 million on the off chance that Jadavian Clowney gives Carson Wentz a concussion in the, in the playoff game. Right. I, I, you just can't. I mean, last year, that if you had done that, I know it didn't matter in the end, but if you had done that, you would not have been to be able to acquire and extend Deshaun Jackson. So, yeah. you know, it's just $25 million for a backup quarterback. Number one is um, impractical. And number two, I'm not sure Nick Foles would have showed up for work. Yeah. I guess I mean, it... he, he, he would have, uh, he probably would have held out. He probably, I mean, you're talking about a guy who was considering retiring because he didn't love the game anymore. I'm not so sure his principles aren't such that if you're going to make me play somewhere where I can't play, where I know I don't have a chance to play, I'm not coming to work. You know, I'll, you can franchise me and I'll just hold out and I'll hold out indefinitely until you do trade me. Meaning and like they, he'd have been, he'd have been untradeable effectively untradeable until, you know, somebody's quarterback got hurt because he's not worth $25 million a year. So you think out of, out of a matter of principle, he actually, not because he's being stubborn, but he might not have shown up because he's like, you're paying me all this money and I'm not doing anything. More like that? Well, the, well that's the, the, the spirit of his contract was such that if he wanted to leave, he could leave. He, he signed an extension with a $2 million buyout right. and, and took it. And, and, you know, so he, in his mind, he earned his freedom. You know, sure. So, if they're going to put him in a position where Nick Foles wanted to play football as a starter for an NFL team last year more than he wanted twenty-five million dollars, right? Right. So your, your your scenario only works if Nick Foles is willing to come back to Philadelphia and waste another year of his career. I'm not. I'm positive he was not willing to do that. So that's a good point. That's a good point. Well, and you can get more good points there. Reed Marcus is writing at Inquirer.com. Thank you for hopping on, my friend. My pleasure. Thank it's you great for having me. Yeah, great talking with you. We'll catch up with you again. We have a quick break to take, and then we're bringing on board special guest from the band Toto, Joseph Williams. Down to 46 tonight, by the way. Cloudy and rainy off and on tomorrow. 58, the high. Speaking of football, Indianapolis and Tennessee tonight at 820. Eagles at the uh, Giants on Sunday afternoon at 1. Baseball, Trevor Bauer of the Reds and Shane Bieber of Cleveland winning the National and American League Cy Young Awards, respectively. Brief break. Back with Joseph Williams of Toto, Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. Thanks for hanging out today. Live and local. It's the Tim DeMoss Show weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Our podcast continues. Our program rolls along as we bring in... Special guest, one of the longtime members of the band Toto, Joseph Williams. How are you, Joseph? I'm good. How are you doing? Wonderful. Thanks for taking time to chat today. My pleasure. Yeah. A lot of stuff to talk about. Maybe we could start with the tour since uh, 
one of them's coming up just on the 21st of November, Dogs of Oz. It's a pay-per-view idea, as uh, my understanding. Uh, what do you anticipate it being like, and what are viewers in store for? Well, it's you know, it's first of all, it's the new lineup here. So uh, right. a couple people coming back from the last incarnation, and a couple of new guys. And uh, you know, you're gonna you're gonna get to see and hear it. It's not really that elaborate. It's just a chance to just sort of see and hear the new cast. And it's just a tight, tight, tight group of guys. It was this guy. Robert Sputt, C-Ride on drums, is just a virtuoso and uh, really belongs in a group like Toto. He's just, you know, he's, he's just an amazing player. Uh, Steve Majoria singing background vocals and, and playing keyboards is just also an incredible player. Returning is Warren Ham on sax and vocals and flute, and all kinds of stuff. Um, John Pierce on bass from Huey Lewis's group and... Dominic Xavier on the keyboards. He he uh, came in, he came with us in 2018 uh, to take over for, for David Page, who got ill back then. Yeah, and then uh, me and Luke, and uh, you know it's it's just we we're, the rehearsals sound amazing. It's just uh, it's just tight and uh, and you know very uh, you know close in, in continuity in terms of the sound from the last version. I mean, you have me singing and Luke is still there, so it's. Uh, you know, it's it's not very far off, but it's very tight, and it's just a lot of clarity to this to this version of the band. Has it been challenging to try to get that uh, you know get that tightness going? Everyone's so professional, maybe not so much, but still the distance, perhaps, or I don't know how that works for you guys. Well, when you have the, the kind of level of musicians that need to be, you know, at a certain level to be in this group, uh, it doesn't take long. You know what I mean for people to get to, to get the groove. Tight and happening, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, the, if you if you listen to the to the uh, catalog of Toto songs, and you listen to the to the kinds of of parts and playing that goes on and stuff, you, you have to be you have to be a really really good player, you know, regardless of what your instrument is, to be in the band. I mean, when they started the band, you know, Jeff and and, and David Hungate on bass and David Page on the piano and Luke at their own guitar, those those guys were the best in the business at the time on those instruments. Hmm. And so it stands to reason that anybody who takes those guys' places, you know, in this day and age, have to be able to play just as well. Everybody who's ever had those jobs has had to be, you know, almost a virtuoso musician. And, and everybody in this lineup is no exception. That's great. November 21 again for that. And then I also heard maybe there's a, I guess you call it a traditional tour next summer, perhaps kind of just depending on how things go. Has there been much thought to that and where that might go? Well, like you said, it's, it's a traditional tour in the sense of playing, standing on a stage in front of people. Right. We've got plans. We've actually got dates booked. And it's just a matter of like uh, how how the whole COVID situation is going at that time. If okay. cases are going down, if vaccines are, are happening, if, uh, if venues are opening up, if festivals are going on next summer, all of those things, we've got some dates booked. We're ready to go. Uh, promoters are booking and hoping for the best. And, uh, we, and if not, we just push out to the next possible opening. Sure. And you know it will get better. It will ease up, and and we'll, we will get out there. But we're we're planning for next year. 
both you and Steve uh, Lucas have you know been with the band for many many years. Steve since the very beginning, and you for most of the time. And both of you, I guess, are releasing solo albums too early next year. Uh, share a bit about yours and and uh, the first single as well. Never saw you coming. I think is what it's called. That's right. Yeah, never saw you coming is, is out today. You can go check it out on on YouTube, or if you go to Toto Official, you can see a link for it. It'll take you there. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's the first track out from from my record, which I um, started working on on basically on the road in 2016, chipping away at ideas for songs. Hmm. And once we stopped in 2019, uh, I decided that using the time in 2020 to really work on it and finish it was what I was going to do. So that is what happened. And uh, it's a fully produced studio album type of an album. Uh, very Toto-y in that, in that uh, you know, it's a very eclectic set of songs filled with great musicians. I brought in all of the guys that I know here in L.A. that would play. Uh, Simon Phillips, who was in Toto, was on it. Nathan East. And, you know, it's filled with a lot of great musicians. It's a vocal album for sure. You know, I'm a singer and I wanted it to be filled with great vocal arrangements, stuff like that. So it's very melodic and, and, and uh, very rock at times and very proggy. And, and I'm, I'm really happy with it. I, I worked hard on it. I think it came out well. I'm excited. Joseph Williams from Toto is our guest. This gives you a minute here of the song. His first single from his new album coming out in February called Never Say Coming. AM560, WFIL.com on the app. It's Never Say Coming. A little bit of it from Joseph Williams of Toto's solo album. Singles out today. Full album comes out in February. We'll keep our chat. Joseph going in just a moment. It's the Tim DeMoss Show and WFIL. You're listening to a podcast of The Tim DeMoss Show. Heard weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. AM 560 WFIL.com and on the app, this is The Tim DeMoss Show. Thank you for tuning in. Our guest for this portion of the program, Joseph Williams from Toto, has a solo record coming out in the spring called Denison Citizen and... One of the songs in there, I think, is a cover of the Beatles song, If I Fell, talking about harmony and, and vocal arrangements. Where did your sense of uh, harmony and the importance of it you know, start for you, as opposed to just being, say, music, focusing on music overall, but the harmony part? Well, from a vocal standpoint, you know, my understanding of it came when I was a young kid from listening to things like the Beatles, you know, to, to uh, songs like that and, 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 you know, other artists at the time. Um, I remember listening to a song like "If I Fell" when I was a kid, and and, and wondering, you know, what it was about the, the the way they were singing it. It was something in the harmony that moved me. Learning later on in life that what the, what it basically was is a three part harmony with the middle part missing. That was what it was in the arrangement, and and it, it gives you this sort of sad sound, this sad sort of emotional sound. Uh, um, and that fascinates me. Fast fascinated me then. It fascinates me today. And it's just a beautiful, timeless song with an incredible vocal arrangement. And I, in my studio one day, I just started noodling around with it, <laughs> and I got carried away. Basically, that's why it ended up getting finished. And uh, I just figured I'm putting it on here. <laughs> <laughs> you had a chance to also have your daughter on the album, which is pretty cool. Well, at both of my daughters, actually, who are wonderful singers. My daughter, Hannah, yeah. who's singing the du- the Peter Gabriel song with me, uh, the duet uh, Don't Give Up, uh, is, is just an incredible natural singer. 
just a wonderful sort of Disney princess type voice, and she's just angelic and very just incredible professional in the studio, and you know, so fast and and easy to work with. And she, and uh, I thought it would be I love that song, the Peter Gabriel song, one of my favorite songs in the world, and I. I thought it would be, be nice to do a sort of father-daughter version of the story in right. that song. And, uh, and so she's wonderful. And then my other daughter, Ray, is uh, singing, you know, backgrounds all over the record. You know, she's all over the, uh, on, on all, a bunch of songs. So they're, and she's an incredible artist and songwriter, my other daughter. So okay. they're both on there, and, uh, you know, and they're, and they're worthy of being on. They're great, they're great singers, so... It's pretty amazing. You consider all, obviously, and your father and all the work he has done, and the music running in the family. What a, what a rich, you know, history to be able to, to draw from in all the different directions. Um, just on the topic of your dad for a second, is there anything about music specifically or life that you 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 know carry with you as you do your work? Well, um, you know, he's a, he's a man of discipline, and 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 that is one of the things about him that I try and emulate. Hmm. Um, that's just one thing about him is that, uh, you know, people ask him and, and say, you know, John, you're such a genius and, and, and all of those kinds of things. And I, I think he is. I, I really do. But he will always argue that that he just he just does the work. You know, he just he he learned the craft and then he took what he learned and he works at it every single day. You know, not never even still to this day, he, he does some kind of work every day. And that's how that's what he attributes his, his success and his his uh, you know good works to and stuff. And so I, I try to take that. I try to put that attitude into what I'm doing um, with my life more than anything. I love it. Great words of wisdom, Joseph Williams. Thank you so much for taking your time uh, time with us today. Congratulations on the upcoming uh, tour, the albums too, and hopefully we get a chance to catch up with you soon. Absolutely. Thanks for talking, man. I had a great time. Joseph Williams and Toto have been kind enough to hang out with us for a little while. He mentioned something about his dad. I love what he said about his dad being a hard worker, not just a genius. Now, his dad is John Williams, okay? So you'll know him from pretty much, well, let me just tell you the movies. Jaws, Star Wars, let this sink in, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Superman, E.T., Home Alone, the Indiana Jones films, Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, uh, several of the Harry Potter films, the 84 Olympics, Sunday Night Football, even the Lost in Space TV show. Uh, the gentleman who we just had on there, Joseph Williams, his dad, John Williams, has been part of. And he said he works. He's a genius or whatever. He's hard, but he said, really, it's more about being a hard worker. I thought of two proverbs that come to mind. Proverbs uh, 10 4 says, Lazy hands. Make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. Um, and then Proverbs twenty two twenty nine says, Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. I love those verses. Proverbs 10, 4 and Proverbs 22, 29. And uh, this is one of the many things John Williams did. Joseph's, we just had on there, his dad. Thanks for tuning in. Have a wonderful night. Jim Maxim, Maxim, uh, Ashworth 13 Ministries, 
leads in prayer next. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.